to you by naturopathicearth.com. Here is certified health coach A. Gregory Luna with Confessions of an Obese Child. Hello, everybody. This is A. Gregory Luna. You can call me Gregory. And welcome back to another rendition of Confessions of an Obese Child. I hope you've been doing well. We are on the verge of summer. In fact, today is the last day of school. As you guys know, I am the medical slash nutrition teacher at a school here in Texas. And so we've been going through finals this week. And uh, today's the last day. So this is the day that some of the kids, we give them hugs, of course, side hugs, because we don't want to be accused of anything inappropriate later on or high fives, or or fist pumps, and then half the kids were like, thank God you're leaving, I never want to see you again, get the hell out. <laughs> but that's the true nature of teaching, okay, is that you love some of your kids, and you absolutely despise the other ones, and or not despise, but you might not like them, and, and that's the thing, it's like when teachers don't like students, it's either because they're disruptive or it could just be a personality issue, or they just don't care about their studies. And honestly, I could spend an entire podcast, I think any teacher could. We could do a 50-episode series on the status of public school education right now in America and what horrible condition it's in. Uh, I mean, it, it's just... It, it's yeah. I mean, we could we could. I mean, there's so many ways to tackle it from the the kids' addiction to cell phones to their lack of interest in school to all the different ways we help them not fail to grade inflation and and grade fixing and and just just. I mean, the admin, the APs could talk about you know their perspective on it, but it's just it's bleak. But we're not here to talk about that, even though I will talk about high school to a certain extent on this confession. So today we're going to talk about the opposite sex. Yeah, girls, something that I really have not talked about in these, what, 20 episodes. So today is about the girls, 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 girls on film, like Duran Duran said, girls on film. And then Molly Crew had girls, 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 you can find me at naturopathic underscore earth on Instagram, and then you can find me at naturopath earth at Twitter and the Facebook. And of course, my website is www.naturopathicearth.com, N-A-T-U-R-O-P-A-T-H-I-C, naturopathic as in naturopathy, earth.com. There you can find the written confessions, all 20 of them, 22, as well as the podcast. So I know a lot of you have iTunes or SoundCloud, but you can listen to the podcasts from uh, the website. So let's begin. Throughout my childhood and adolescence, girls flummoxed and mystified me as much as the series finale of the TV show Lost. Now this may be partly ascribed to the fact I never had sisters, but it was mostly due to the fact I never spoke to girls unless absolutely necessary. As an obese child, most girls treated me as the token leper from the New Testament. So, 
I didn't have sisters. You know, I've talked about my two older brothers, and I think that played a role on how I didn't really understand girls. And I don't know if anyone can truly understand girls at all. But I, I had problems understanding girls. And I think when you have sisters, especially if, let's say, you're the sole boy in a group of three or four girls, I think you might have a better fix on them. But I didn't have that. So the only female I had in my life was my mom. I didn't have any cousins that lived in town. As I've mentioned, my family was from Mexico. So I did have uh, maybe four or five female cousins, but they either lived in Chicago or in Efe in Mexico City. So didn't have a lot of girls in my life. So, and uh, I did mention the TV show Lost. I used to love that show. That show was so great. I thought it was so innovative, but it's like, I remember listening to an interview by Damon Lindelof and he was one of the creators along with J.J. Abrams, who later on did Star Trek and Star Wars and all those movies. And they kind of admitted that they were just kind of making up the mythology as they went along. And near the end, you could really tell because the end of it was just, just made no sense. But like with so many things, TV shows, relationships, once you're committed to something, you stick with it uh, until the end, even when you think it's bad. And then even when you realize it's bad, you're like, oh, I'm going to stick with it. You, know, you see that in relationships too. I mean, how many people are in relationships when they know that the relationship is bad, but they don't want to leave either because they don't want to hurt that person's feeling or they're scared what their life would be like. If they left, and maybe it'd be worse. You know, you see this in particular with abused uh, men and women that are in abusive relationships. They're like, yeah, I'm out, my, I hate getting hit, or I hate getting yelled at or raged at, but I don't know if I can handle being alone. What would it be like? Maybe I wouldn't find somebody. You know, I'm you know, 38, and I might not find somebody, so maybe it's just better to just stay. So you see that quite a bit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cover my experiences with the opposite sex through the different sections of my youth. So let's start with elementary school. So in elementary school, I actually did speak to girls. And why that is is because the very young girls, and I'm talking like first, second grade, kindergarten, they didn't have any prejudice uh, formed yet. You know, as Aristotle said, that we're all tabula rasa, meaning clean slate. So we don't we're not necessarily instilled with any prejudice at all. Like if you ask a kid, you know, who's four, you know, like, um, you know, what's wrong with that person? Should we make fun of that person? I don't know. I mean, they don't, they don't know. It's only later that we say like, these people are bad or look at that person. That person's stupid or be weary of blah, 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 or stay away from blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's that kind of idea. So when I was young, I, I, you know, I, I did talk to, to, to girls. You know, I overall had a pretty normal psychosexual development. I knew I liked girls at a very early age. I knew I was hetero. There's no homo here, as Lonely Island would say. Uh, if you like, Lonely Island's great. If you ever listen to uh, any of their songs, it's at, at Andy Sandberg's uh, band or group. They were on SNL. They did digital shorts. You know, they did like Jizz in My Pants and Mother Lover and D-I-C-K in a Box and uh, No Homo and Like a Boss. I mean, their songs are really funny. He did a movie called Rockstar last year that was decent. But uh, yeah, it's spoofy. You know, the, the, the kind of thing of the songs is like if songs make you laugh or smile, then love them. You know, even when, even if they're really cheesy. And believe me, Lonely Island's really cheesy. But definitely, I never had any inclinations toward being gay. Not that there's anything wrong with that, right? Seinfeld would say, the classic Seinfeld episodes. 
So most of my elementary school years, I did have crushes on girls. I, had, I loved this girl. I love, you know, I had a crush on this girl named Veronica. Even now, I couldn't tell you what her last name was. I just remember she had black hair in second grade. Then I had a crush on a girl named Elizabeth uh, for fourth and fifth grade. And then I had this crush on a girl named Tracy for third grade. And yeah, I mean, it's not like I really talked to them or maybe I had vague recollections recollections and talking to them, but it's... You know, you know when you're that young, like like my kids, one of my, my my kids six, you know, and you know I ask them, do you like girls? They're like, no, the girls are yucky. You know, Ew, why would anyone want to touch girls? And I'm just like, just wait and see. So in elementary school, I would leer at the girls in class and in recess and after school. You know, I just look at them from afar. I would look at the yearbook or class photo for a time that some might describe as indeterminably creepy. I went to a Catholic school, so they didn't really have a yearbook per se that I remember. We had a uh, parish directory, and so in the parish directory, they'd have pictures of all the, the families. And honestly, I don't even know if they do this anymore. This was back in the 80s. But I just flipped through that and look at all the cute girls, you know. That, that's what I used to do all the time. So, But honestly, I don't think there was there was any different that I don't think I was really any different than any of the boys um, in that age group, aside from the fact that, you know, I pooped in my pants in first grade and vomited on a girl accidentally in third grade. But, you know, that's pretty normal. But I don't I don't think my experiences were too different at that point. And I remember when I vomited on this girl, what it was, was like, it was like on a Friday. It's funny how you remember these things. It was a Friday, and I had eaten fish. And the fish was bad. You know, this is cafeteria food. Who knows where they got cafeteria food in, from Catholic schools? You know, I don't think they were good. They were purchased from Cisco back in the 80s. But the, the fish was bad. And I remember getting sick. And then I sat in the very back row of a class in the afternoon. And there was a girl in front of me. And I started to cry. And she turned around. She's like, what's going on? Are you okay? And then I went, Bleh. And I just vomited on the desk in front of me and got some on her. And so, uh, you know, she started screaming, of course. You know, I didn't get in trouble for it like that because, you know, that happens. So, I, I, I mean, we, we did speak to each other to a certain extent, but it was, it was nothing big. And as I ascended through elementary school, it got less and less. I mean, there were birthday parties, of course, you know, when you're in second and third grade, you would get, you know, there would be birthday parties, but I didn't attend them. And I'm not sure if I didn't attend them because my mom just didn't tell me about it or I just wasn't invited because I was already kind of the fat kid and you didn't want to lose the cool quotient by inviting the fat kid. So that was a little uncomfortable. I mean, you know, for birthdays, lots of times back then, the room mothers would bring cupcakes for everybody. And birthdays, you know, birthdays are so weird uh, for me because it's like, why are we celebrating the person that's being born? Shouldn't we be celebrating the parents who birthed and created that child? Shouldn't birthdays be kind of reversed? Shouldn't the person whose birthday is uh, on that day be giving gifts to their mom for like squeezing them out? of their vagina in a painful way in labor and for the man for siring them with his seed. I mean, it just, I don't I mean, I understand why we celebrate the, the baby that's born, right? Because it's a creation of life. But in some ways, it should be like a reciprocated um, event. Like the, the, the kids should be like thanking the parents, in particular the mother, for birthing them. So I've never understood that. But, you know, so everybody got cupcakes 
And then like Valentine's Day was especially awkward in elementary school too because, you know, it was mandatory to give everybody a Valentine. So the girls would go one by one and combine, just give you one. But I mean, a lot of these girls didn't even like me or know me. Um, and they just felt obligated and they had to give it to me. You know, these were girls that didn't even talk to me and they were giving me Valentine. Will you be my Valentine? It just I knew it was like pretentious and fake and just all a sham. But as a whole, my elementary school upbringing was pretty normal. Middle school. Dun, dun, dun. As I ascended elementary school and certainly in middle school, the sweet honeydew of halcyon innocence morphed into the histrionic milieu of cliques and infighting. <laughs> That's a very floofy sentence. I've dealt with the kids in my school quite adept in different various confessions, like the locker room, the gym class, the presidential fitness test, the bra. Um, as I got older, these these kids were bullies, and they were out-and-out out sadists. Now, you know, like I said, I probably had like maybe, it was like 30 kids per class, and there were two classes per grade, so I pretty much interacted with 60 kids on a given day at the school. And... I can't say that they were all out and out sadists, you know, like it is with any group. Um, you're going to have like the, the, the ringleaders and you'll have the followers and then you have the indifferent ones and then the ones who don't want to get involved, you know, like, and, and then the other nerds. So it just seems like from my experiences of the things that happened to me in the swimming pool and in the locker room that there were a lot of out and out sadists, that a lot of these, a lot of the things that happened to me when I was younger, like getting my trunks pulled away and having my clothes pulled away at the locker room and the things that I was called. I don't know if they do these anymore to overweight kids. Uh, I don't see it in high school. I don't see overweight kids getting bullied. And I don't know if it's just a different time or if it's on social media or because so many kids are overweight now that they don't even bother to do it. I, I really don't know. I, I don't know what the situation is now. But my memory of the girls are faint aside from the incremental, and it was very slow, ostracism that was placed on me starting around fifth grade. So all the girls, even the outcast, were feeling the unyielding pressure to fit in. You know, clicks start about, I think, third or fourth grade. And, and so, you know, they wanted to fit in, so they began to talk to me less and less. So whereas a first grader doesn't see uh, obesity as much, and they'd be like, would you like to borrow my paint marker? You know, paint markers are really big back then, or my neon fat shoelaces, or whatever 80s reference I can think of. Uh, once I got to fifth grade, they noticed it's like, well, if they talk to the fat kid, their, their stock's going to drop. And of course, I was essentially the same kid as I was a few months earlier, even a year before. But the shuns and the chiming in of the group Fat Albert references got more and more and more. And so when one of the male bullies would say, hey, 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 you know, when, when people laughed, there were girls laughing too. And it just got increasingly more girl laughs mixed with the boy laughs. And it's like, why were they laughing? Did they really think I was fat or were they just saying it to fit in? Or maybe they saw how hideous I looked with my shirt off in gym class or how I smelled like feces and baby powder and sweat all mixed in together. And that's why they had a disdain for me. I, you know, I really don't know. It's not like I could go back and interview these people. And even if I did interview these people, which would be fascinating. If I could make confessions of an obese child, like an oral interview and have it on Netflix, I don't, I, I'd be fascinated because I don't think most of these girls would even remember me. I mean, they maybe, maybe remember my name. And if anything, now that they're all like 43, um, 
I think they'd be more like, wow, you lost all your weight. That's great. And if I'd be like, do you remember that time? Or da, 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 they'd be like, no. And I don't blame them, you know. I mean, I'm not going to remember everything that happened to me in elementary school. But some of these things become so seared in your head that you expect it to be seared into the head of the bully, of the assailant. But it's not. It's really not. The rest of my middle school years, I do remember going to one middle school dance. I remember my mom forced me to go to my eighth grade graduation dance. So by this time I was 14. And I remember, you know, it's so funny because I remember distinctly walking in and they were playing If You Leave by OMD. You know that song from Pretty Pink? If you leave, I won't cry. I won't waste one single day. I remember walking in and just being dark and there's people talking and barely anyone was dancing, but I just made it I just made a straight run to the bathroom. And so I just sat in the bathroom stall the whole time. And that's all I did. That was my experience with parties. And then I didn't go to a party my entire high school career. In fact, I don't think I went to a, a like a somebody's house party. Now I, I I remember I probably went to you know, people's houses, like nerd houses, where there were like three or four nerds, and we'd watch, you know, the William Shatner original Star Trek movies, but like a legit party with girls and with beer. And uh, I mean, it maybe even post college, maybe not even in college, to be honest, you know, because even though I had lost my weight, I still felt fat and like I didn't fit in. So uh, the other thing that I remember from that time was. You know, I'm I'm sure that they were definitely having birthday parties, like legit birthday parties, 12, 13-year-olds, you know, uh, were having birthday parties, but I was never invited. I was never invited. I do not remember one instance of going to anybody's birthday party that had the opposite sex. Now, when my geek friend Dave or my geek friend Al or Lou had a birthday, you know, I probably went over to their house, but like a legit party, I never went. And I, you know, in retrospect, I kind of understand why. It's like, why would... Why would I want to bring down their cool quotient at the time by inviting a nerd or a fat kid? And I mean, you see this in so many of the the John Hughes movies, you know, which we'll talk about later. You know, nerds trying to get into parties. One of the do the, one of the good memories I do have though of this time is that I do remember a girl named Joyce. Joyce was a friend of mine, and, and we used to um, talk about stuff after school and it was mostly just like 80s music like discuss you know debbie gibson or madonna or millie vanilli or you know what a paul abdul or whatever was big in like 1986 1987 87 would have been debbie gibson for sure and madonna that would have been like like a prayer i think would have been so yeah definitely madonna uh, we would discuss all the John Hughes movies. I remember distinctly talking about Pretty in Pink with her. I, m- I remember talking about Pretty in Pink because if you guys have seen that movie, when Molly Ringwald and Andrew McCarthy, they finally have their kiss. They're at some barn or somewhere, and they they kiss in front of the line. I remember we were analyzing, like, wow, you could see their tongue. They're French kissing. Oh, my God. I'm like, yeah, they're French kissing. Wow. So it, it was nice because she... Um, she was one of those rare breeds who didn't care about her character being impugned by hanging out with an outcast. So it was really cool. She was really nice. And, of course, I don't know what happened to her after elementary school. Uh, the other experience I had with my middle school time was that, um, you know, I had I had an older brother, my middle brother, and I, I spent a podcast talking about him on The Popular Brother. And I, I lived with him. You know, I, I shared a room with him. And he... 
I would listen to him crafting his game or how he would talk to girls on the phone and how he would act at school when I would see him at school when I was a little younger because he, we, went, we went to the same school, but he left six years after. He was six years older than I was. So by the time I was in third or fourth grade, he was gone. But still, you know, I'd see him, you know, he'd bring girls over to the house or during soccer games. And so uh, it would frustrate me because I would get all this information on girls, but I didn't know how to put it to good use. And in my youth, it frustrated me because I just didn't know how to talk to girls. I didn't know how to parlay her friendship, Joyce's friendship, and just in general, the, the counsel or advice I accrued from my brother and him talking to girls into any meaningful relationship with girls, platonic or otherwise. It's like I didn't know how to interact with girls at all. I'd be like, ooh, ooh, uh, hi, oh, ooh, ooh, and I'd start sweating and then I'd walk away. Because, I mean, I knew I was fat and I knew I stunk. And so it's like, you know, you, you get so um, self-conscious, right? And so you can't really focus on anything. High school. Well, I thought high school would be different. You know, I, I knew I was going to an all-boys school, and there was an all-girls school next door. I thought, well, this is a great way to avoid girls altogether. You know, I wouldn't have to worry about having panic attacks and being all self-conscious. I could just stay in my little enclave of boys and let me be the slobbering food garbage disposal that I was and just let me be in peace. And... In the short term, though, it was a nice respite. In the, in the long term, it certainly hindered my sexual development. Because I think, I think it's important. And I've, you know, I've seen studies to the contrary, like girls do better in school when they are segregated from boys, right? And I think that happens because girls don't want to impress. Either it's like they, they can't be themselves in class because they, they feel like the boy, they need to impress the boy. And maybe the boys are the same way. Maybe boys do better. Though I think I remember reading a long time ago, and this was like a long time ago, that I think boys actually do better with girls in the classroom, but girls don't. Girls definitely do better when the boys are not in the classroom. But I think uh, at a time, you know, when you want to develop your your relationship with girls, going to an all-boys school didn't help, especially since I wasn't seeing girls outside of school and I didn't have any sisters or cousins that were nearby. So I would literally never see girls. I mean, on occasion, they would come by the campus, you know, for a mixed class. Let's say we they offered Latin and they didn't have enough students in one school, so they'd mix the classes. And I remember literally, I was part of uh, the, the uh, what we call the straight Jesuit educational television, or we had a TV station at school. So we would broadcast uh, the, the news every day. So we had newscasters and cameramen and directors. And so I was part of this. It's kind of like the audiovisual club, but we actually produced television shows and skits and stuff like that um, at, at, at my age or at my high school. And so we had this, this little hangout where we would sit outside the, the, the studio. And I literally remember, you know, you could see the main thoroughfare because, or the breezeway because this, the school had separate buildings and so you had to walk outside under uh, cover and literally we'd all be out in the nerds because all the nerds were in when they were in the tv station we'd all just be like oh yeah there's a girl there's a girl and literally we would have binoculars i sh- i shish you not we would literally pull out binoculars and like look at the binoculars and look at the girls because they were you know maybe 20 30 feet away and be like oh my god it's a girl look what she's wearing is she pretty oh my god 
Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, that that's how we were. That that's the kind of guy. I mean, we were looking at him like, you know, they were prey on the Serengeti. Though of course we never had the thought or means to pounce on the prey. Another place we would see him is at the masses, like every month. Uh, we would have mass because it was a Catholic school and sometimes they would merge the two schools if some really important Jesuit priest was coming or something like that. And so those were amazing, you know, just to see all the girls together in this in, in a room, in a large room. Just And of course we wouldn't focus on mass or we would pretend we're focusing on mass and look more pious than we were just to impress the girls. But of course I wasn't, I wasn't impressing any girls. I was just a fat slob. So, and I, I do, I remember like, so we had like the all boys school and then we had our parking lot and then the girls school was next to it. So we would park and you could see St. Agnes, which was the all girls school. And it was like, it was like no man's land from World War One. It's like, it was like the, this invisible wall that you could not cross to get to the girls school. Now the cool boys, you know, they would go across the parking lot to St. Agnes before school and after school, we, we couldn't go during the day unless you had class, but they'd go over there like no problem. And then you, you see all the, the studs go over there and hug the girlfriends and kiss the girlfriends and all hanging out like, like James Spader and Pretty in Pink. You know, what was his name? Blade, no, not Blade, Blade's Andrew McCarthy, Steph. Yeah, James Spader is Steph. Remember Steph? He's the, the best friend. It's kind of like that. It was just like just slime ball, but... Yeah, the guys would go over there, but like for the nerds, it was like this understood, like impenetrable, invisible wall. It's like you cannot go to the all girls school. So we would watch all the uniform clad pretty girls come out, but we would be terrified to go in. I mean, terrified. I mean, we even felt that if the, after school, like if there was a, like a legit reason to go to, to, to the all girls school for like some extracurricular club meeting, the girls would tell us to get out. I mean, literally, I would have to go there because I was part of Quiz Bowl in high school or the academic club. And um, we would sometimes scrimmage against the, the girl team. And literally, like if I, when I found out that the meeting was at, at St. Agnes, I'd be like freaking out. I mean, I literally, I mean, this would be like five, 10 minutes after the bell. I literally would like go go in there and I'd open the door like really quietly and go into the main school and I'd be like, oh my God, they're going to know I'm not supposed to be here. I mean, literally, this is what I was going through my head, even though I was in an extracurricular club and, you know, I was a fat kid, so it was, it was pretty disarming. You know, teachers didn't think I was like some sort of terrorist, even in the pre-terrorist time of the 80s and early 90s. But I felt like such an interloper just going to this school just felt so weird. But at the same time, it was like going to like a museum or like sneaking into somebody's house. It was like, oh my God, look at all these trophies. Look at all these pictures of past, you know, classes. Oh my God. Oh my God. I was like, <laughs> I was all freaking out. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. Looking back at it, it's pretty funny. Just, and the funny thing is like, like the, the quiz bowl girls are just as nerdy as us. You know, they were just like a lot of like nerdy, just, socially awkward Asian girls, pretty much. That was their team. Uh, but most of them, we did beat them. Uh, needless to say, I wasn't invited to any high school parties. You know, I heard about them. Later, when I got my license, the nerds and I would drive by the house where the popular kids were having their parties because, you know, we would hear about it. You know, they would get around. This is pre-email. Uh, I think, you know, pagers were, were around in the early 90s. I graduated in 92, so... 91, 92, but it was just, you know, kind of got around. And so we would drive by and I, it's, it's literally just funny. Just how we would just like drive by me. Okay. Park over there. Okay. Let's look out the window. Oh my God. Someone's walking by. Yeah. Duck, 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 duck. They're going to see us. 
you know, and we would just like look at the house when no one was walking. We would just look at that. What's going on in there? And of course, we had grew grown up on like movies like Weird Science and Porky's and Sixteen Candles, Revenge of the Nerds. All these movies that have like high school party scenes. Revenge of the Nerds has more to do with college, but. And so it was just like the idea, like at 16 Candles, you remember when the nerd and John Cusack, his best friend and the other guy, they try to sneak into the, the party and they accidentally bump into the beer cans and knock the beer can pyramid down and then the nerds get thrown in the trunk and then Andrew, uh, Anthony Michael's character gets put in the, the uh, glass table where uh, Jake, the, the guy that Molly Ringwald likes, finds him and then Jake and him talk and... Eventually, he sleeps with the most popular girl who's Jake's girlfriend, which is pretty unrealistic. But, you know, in Weird Science, they have that crazy party at the end. Kelly LeBrock, who's the computer-created beautiful model. That Anthony Michael Hall and the other guy who didn't have a career create. And at the very end, they have that crazy party. And they got to put everything back together before the parents come back. And, uh, yeah, so that, that's what we thought. We thought it was all crazy parties. And really, I don't know if they were anything like that. I don't know if parties in Houston in the early 90s, high school parties, were anything like that. I don't know if there was drugs going on. I don't know if people were getting drunk. I'm assuming they were. I mean, we always heard about it. I doubt they were sitting around playing Dungeons and Dragons, you know, and watching Monty Python, like our parties were the quote-unquote parties were like, or we were playing guns where we were literally... I mean, we're like 15, 16 years old, like getting, using like, f- like our fingers as guns. It goes like, bam, bam, bam. Oh, oh, you got me. Oh. And then we get pillows and throw them as grenades. Oh, I mean, this is what we would do Friday nights. Lame. But, you know, I mean, in some ways, in some ways we didn't know any better. You know, we, to us it was fun. And, but, I mean, we knew we were outcasts and that we were never going to go to these parties. And it wasn't like ever, like one of the nerds in my group, like, got invited and we were like ooh and then what was it like and then that cool that kid became a cool kid and blew us off kind of like in um can't buy me love you know with patrick dempsey from gray's anatomy that one where you know he pays off the pretty blonde girl amanda peterson and then he becomes a cool kid and that's a great movie it's a it's a shame that the blonde girl died i think she died of drugs recently but it's funny to see how he became, he was such a kind of an ugly duckling. And look at him now. He's McDreamy. He's so dreamy. So in closing, I resigned myself a few years earlier, earlier that I would never kiss a girl. I mean, I, or much less have sexual relations with them. You know, I was a heterosexual boy. I, I wanted to have sex. Um, what I knew about sex, I kind of knew what I, what I knew about sex from my brother and then watching a lot of HBO Though, to be honest, I think up until about 13, I thought babies came out of the butthole because, you know, the vagina. I mean, what what is a kid who has no um, experience with a, a female know what a vagina even looks like? What's a vagina? I mean, even, even an adult. I mean, a vagina is like this mysterious jungle. But definitely as a high schooler, it's like, I don't know, babies, vagina, why? It's like a little slit. How do they go? What? Though I do remember my mom. My only my only sex ed talk was my mom came up to me one time. I must have been like fourteen, and she was like, "Albert, here is a book about sex." And then she just kind of gave, "If you have any questions, come and talk to to me or your dad." By and then she just walked away. And it was a book like it was like it was like like a comic, like it had like how to shape man and how to shape woman. Like they had beer guts and saggy breasts, and I don't remember the title of it, but. I remember reading in it, it just I don't remember much about it, but I just remember the pictures being like saggy middle-aged people having sex. <laughs> and I was like, 
all right. I guess maybe they wanted saggy people because they wanted us to know that you shouldn't have sex in marriage or that only old middle-aged people have sex. Like if they were well-sculpted drawings of young men and women that entice us to have sex. I don't know. It was peculiar, but I never thought I was going to have sex in my whole life, ever. And this this goes on to the next podcast, which is The uh, Dark Night of the Soul, where one of the reasons why I got really depressed is because I thought, oh my God, you know, what kind of life am I going to have? But I would watch all these movies, and I wanted to kiss a girl, you know? I'm, I'm, shit, shish kebab. I wanted to, like, talk to a girl and be friends with a girl and just, you know, hang out with a girl. Uh, not much as, you know, kiss them or, or, or engage in coitus with them. But as my weight burgeoned, so did my prospects diminish, you know. And this mindset just wasn't in high school. I literally thought I would never in my entire life be intimate with a girl, ever. I just never thought I'd be intimate. I thought my whole life would be uh, just pining over women from afar, and just crushing on them and living out my dreams in movies. You know, I just, that's that's what I thought my life was going to be like. Just just staring at women. I never thought, and I don't think I would have turned into like some creepazoid where, you know, I'm like stalking women and like showing up at their house and knocking on their door and shooting them. Like, like you hear about those weird stalkers. I just thought that I would just like stare at women and just dream about it and just swallow up my sadness with more food. Yeah. I mean, the sad thing is with proper introspection, I likely could have gone to one of the school dances and approached a nerdy, overweight girl, and they might have danced with the stinky, fat me. You know, I mean, you got to think, I mean, I was not the only one going through this. People went through this all the time, boys and girls. I mean, there were overweight girls, and they had the same phobias and the same worries and the same sadness and insecurities that I did, you know, they were never going to kiss a boy. And and here's the irony. It's like, and I'm not saying this because I've lost my weight, but even back then I, I could have approached a nerdy, overweight girl to dance with, and maybe they would have said yes, but I wasn't interested in them. I wasn't interested. I, like all boys, I was interested in the pretty uh, to average-looking girls. And, of course, it's completely ironic because I lamented the fact that girls wouldn't approach me or find me sexually attractive but I didn't find the overweight girls sexually attractive. And, I mean, does that make me a horrible chauvinistic pig? Yeah, to a certain extent. But it's honest. It's honest. I don't think most people, any of you that are listening to this, are wired to find uh, very unattractive people attractive. So, I mean, there's that saying that men, the first thing they look at uh, is beauty. They're wired to look at beauty, and that's partly because they want to pass their genetics on to the most attractive species because attractiveness shows uh, health, reproductive health, DNA health. So somebody with good skin shows that they're probably disease-free. Somebody who can run fast shows that they don't have any underlying maladies that could affect your, your, you know, your, the baby that you make with them. So beauty, to a certain extent, shows health. And so men are wired for that. Women are willing to give up good looks for security, humor, and so forth. And so women are insecure, or I'm sorry, women are shallow in their own way. So men are shallow in that they always say, oh, you only look at looks. 
And then women are shallow because we'll call them like, oh, all you care about is, you know, money. Well, that's how women are wired. Because think about a woman before she decides to breed with somebody is committed to that man for 18 years or however long that, that kid is is going to be around. So they're going to pick somebody, and this goes back to caveman times. They're going to pick somebody that can protect them from, you know, tigers, saber-toothed lions, tigers, and, and, and other men from raping them and stuff like that. So they're going to pick men that can provide, that have the resources. They're going to pick people, they're going to pick men that aren't going to, have them starve to death. And they're going to try to pick people that are higher up on the tribe ladder that can provide them more resources, either it be food or trinkets, jewelry, you know, whatever it is. So, I mean, it, it, that's the way women are wired because women are in a more vulnerable state. They're small, they're the smaller sex. And so they're willing to cash in looks for security. And so, I mean, that doesn't make them shallow. So when I tell my male students, it's like, well, if you want to get the good girls, then get a good job because that's how women are wired, you know, and definitely, you know, develop your personality because there are women that will forsake looks um, for humor. And you see this like in all the Bud Light or beer commercials, like on football games, like you see, it's always the same. It's like the really good looking wife or girlfriend with the schlubby guy. And they, they transmit this message, well, you can be schlubby and get a hot model, yeah, maybe you can if you make, you know, $2 million a year. But if you're the typical schlub with a schlubby job, you're not going to be getting the hot model. But again, that's what advertising does. Advertising deceives you. So it makes these guys think that if I drink Coors, I'm going to get a hot model. Probably not. Probably not. And you see these on other shows too. Like I've been watching Love, which is a show on um, Netflix. And you see this like in the movies like Knocked Up. Like maybe it's, they're both Judd Apatow. So... Um, you, maybe Judd Apatow is the same because Judd Apatow is not a good looking guy. And he married Leslie Mann, who's a, a blonde actress that if you saw her, you'd recognize her. She was in Knocked Up and she's the sister of, um, Catherine Heigl in Knocked Up. She's the blonde girl. You've seen her in a lot of movies and she's much prettier than he is. But again, he's a f- very famous director. And so again, attractive women will sacrifice looks for security or money. Doesn't make him a gold digger. Just that's just the way they're wired. But in those shows and those movies, look at um, Seth Rogen. He was a schlub, right? And by the end, he gets Catherine Heigl. You know, and Catherine Heigl's infinitely better looking than he is. And you see it in this in the show Love. Love has Jillian um, Jacobs from Community, the blonde girl, and she's dating this guy with a big nose and curly hair, and he's a total nerd. Paul Rust, and he even admits that he's ugly and he's not in her league. But women are willing to sacrifice that for other things. But men, it's very hard. That's why you don't see a lot of good-looking men with unattractive women. You will see unattractive women, uh, unattractive men with good-looking women because, again, either they're rich or they bring some sort of social status and they're willing to to exchange the beauty for that. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, did it make me a, my, what's the high school Alberta pig, literally a pig for not wanting to talk or hang out with the fat, the fat girls? Um, probably. Yeah. I mean, it's ironic, but it's the truth. I mean, would I've been friends with the fat girls? Yeah. I would have been friends. Would I, would I be interested in dating them? Probably not. And again, I mean, you have to be uh, true to what your body says, you know, and attraction is a lot of that is very primordial and you really can't control it. So, I mean, it, on one level, I, I can't be mad at these girls for not finding me attractive because again, attraction comes from something deep within. Uh, but with girls, 
I suppose I had a better chance than an ugly girl would with a boy since boys are so wired to look at looks, but girls were never interested in me and partly because I was never like interacting with enough girls. And this is another thing, like it reminds me of ABBA, the song of the winner takes it all. The winner takes it all, the loser has to fall. Anyway, there's a line in that song that says, spectators of the show always stay alone. Spectators of the show always stay alone. So, like, if you know anybody who just stays home and doesn't go out but laments the fact they don't have somebody in their life, well, it's because they're not going out. You know, you have to be out to find somebody. If you're just, like, a homebody, uh, you're not going to find anybody. I suppose they have, like, online dating now, but I mean, it's it's not the same. you got to go out. You have to go out. So, and that's pretty much all I have for... Uh, this confession, it kind of ends with me never thinking I was going to have anybody in my life. Now, of course, later on, after I lost my weight, I did have experiences with women, which I'll talk about later in future confessions. So, I mean, you know, I had no experience with girls until I lost my weight. Does that make girls shallow? I don't know. Who knows? I mean, they always say that, like, if if you could always, like, your adult self could write a letter back to your 15-year-old self or 18-year-old self or 22-year-old self, what would you tell yourself? And most people write that they wouldn't be hard on, so don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. It's like we're so hard on ourselves. So would I, should I, did I, you know, are we... I mean, in general, let's just not be so hard on ourselves. Let's just live life the best that we can. So please listen to my confessions. If you know anybody that was overweight, please refer them to these confessions because I think that um, there's a lot of commonalities that I talk about in these confessions. I mean, the Naturopathic Earth Radio episodes, there's a lot of commonalities there too because, of course, we all want to be healthy and we all want to sleep well and, and so forth. But with the confessions, I think it's definitely a niche. So please, if you know anybody who's overweight, refer them over to these podcasts. Please contact me through the website or through social media. Um, we're still working on the interviews. Um, that's hopefully going to come around. I uh, Just so you know, in terms of like podcasts, they're going to slow down a bit because um, school's ending and then I have my children for the next... Uh, two weeks. It's very hard to get any podcasting or work done when my kids are with me. Uh, but I'll try to still get a podcast, either an MP radio or a confession out uh, about once a week for the next month or so. Also, Kate's working on uh, her, her beginning her own series, which is called Naturopathic Essentials, where she'll tackle a different essential oil uh, once a week and just talk about how you can use that one. So she'll be doing that one all by herself. And then next in the fall, she'll probably start Naturopathic Parenting, where she talks about natural pregnancy and, and, and supporting natural pregnancy and natural birthing and not using drugs and just the beauty of birthing and, and stuff like that. So please follow us on social media and let people know and post a review on uh, iTunes. I appreciate that. I've gotten about 20 reviews in the last week or so. So I really appreciate that, guys. All of you that posted reviews, I really appreciate it. Even those where the feedback is, you know, you could do this better, do that better. I totally get that. So um, I just want some feedback. So I would appreciate that. So until next time, take care. Enjoy these last days of school. Any of you who are young, as we approach summer, and it's going to be pool time pretty soon. That could be a whole podcast talking about going to the pool. But until then, take care. Bye-bye. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. 
Make sure to visit us at www.naturopathicearth.com for additional confessions, wellness articles, recipes, and a whole lot more. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Naturopath Earth. See you next time.